This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Good morning, everyone, and uh, thanks for joining us today for our Insights at 10 a.m. My name is Doug Nickel, and I'm an investment analyst on the Best of Breed team here at Ned Group Investments. Today, I'm joined by Murray Winkler and Dwayne Dippenar from Lorium Capital, and they're going to talk us through where they see value in South African equity markets. Thanks for joining us, Murray and Dwayne. Just a couple of items to mention before we get started. If for those guys who have dialed in via Teams, there is a Q&A function on the right-hand side of your screens. So please do feel free to ask any questions, which I'll then put to the, to the guys at the end of the presentation. And if you have dialed in via your phone as anonymous for CPD reasons, please can you type your name into the Q&A section and this will just allow our team to put your details on record. Just to provide you with a bit of context before I hand over to the Lorian team, as you would know, our best of breed philosophy is to establish and build long-term relationships with our investment managers. We don't change managers because of short-term performance, but When there is a fundamental change in a business or an application of its investment process, we do obviously look to change. In March this year, Neil and Richard from Electus, who were managing the Ned Group Investment Growth Fund, announced that they would be closing down their business. As a result of this, the Ned Group Investments team embarked on a course of action to seek a manager replacement. And we're delighted to have found Lorium as as a partner. Lorium is a very established investment house and they're one of the largest in South Africa and have really done fantastically well in gathering assets over the past 12 years. Their core competency is in managing SA equity funds and they really do adopt a unique way of uncovering investment ideas in the market where they look to combine a traditional fundamental analysis with a macro overlay, but also they retain the flexibility to take advantage of very short-term specialized opportunities. And this process has been implemented by a very experienced team and their efforts have been endorsed by some of the largest sovereign wealth funds in the world who have entrusted their money with Lorium. And today, Murray and Dwayne will take us through how they look for ideas in SA equity markets, what their outlook is for the SA equity market and how their strategy has performed to date before going into looking at how the Ned Group Investments Growth Fund has been positioned. But that's enough from me. Murray, I'll hand over to you to get started. Thanks, Doug, and good morning, everyone. At Lorium, we're very excited to be part of Nedbank's Best of Breed and to be involved with them in the equity fund. Up front, I'm going to give a little bit of an overview. I think quite a few people do know Lorium, but I think there's some that maybe don't. And just a bit of a background and then a little bit on the process as well, just up front. So we were formed, uh, my partner Gavin Forberg and myself started 12 years ago, six weeks before the Lehman's crisis. So in fact, as of tomorrow, we'll be 12 years old is our birthday at the end of tomorrow. We've been running, started in hedge funds, been running that for 12 years. We run long only, we run multi-strat as well. Our assets are now around 26 billion or so. The bulk is the equity strategy. It's 57% of our assets. Uh, We run two and a half billion in hedge. We do Africa as well, which is a bit of a differentiator. We have 15% of our assets in in the rest of Africa. And we have 55% of our assets come from internationally. So quite a diverse spread, I guess. 
From an investment, the team, we have 26 individuals in the organization, 14 of them in the investment team. We have lots of accountants, and which is not necessarily a good thing, and those with CFA charters. And that's broadly uh, in a snapshot, Lorium Capital. So if we move on to the next slide, just to talk a little bit about what we do and what we focus on, fundamentally, we bottom up. So looking at intrinsic value of companies, do a lot of financial analysis, and then determining valuations from that. So that's a core bottom-up what we do, but we do have a macro overlay. We think it's pretty important to identify big structural trends that are going on in macro, whether it's sectors or economies. And ESA at the moment obviously is one that is, you can look at South Africa almost like a, an income statement and balance sheet of South Africa, budget deficits, and then the, the balance sheet is, is the fiscal side, which doesn't look pretty, but we'll get into that a bit later. And then I think coming from investment banking backgrounds, which is quite different, what we do, we, we have always focused quite a bit on event-driven and uh, equity capital markets, so special situations. And that's an area I think we do slightly different, having done lots of underwritings, investment banks historically. So that, that's broadly from a philosophy point of view. If we, we then have a look at sort of at the next slide on the actual process, if we just look at the equity fund, I guess our universe, it is South African stocks listed on the exchange is what we look at in South Africa. I know everyone's trying to go overseas offshore at the moment. For our multi-strat funds, we do do that, but and we gen generally use passive indices for some of the international stuff, but 160 stocks basically is the universe in South Africa. So we screen on those companies. The bulk of, of the investments come in the top 100 stocks on the market. We have financial screening. We have valuation screening. Every morning we have the investment team has a morning meeting at eight o'clock, but lasts from anywhere from 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And so, we, and then we get out, we see a lot of companies. So a lot of us been around a long time, I guess sort of probably myself, 30, 30 years in markets, it's a long time. We have a pretty decent network coming from, the, from investment banking backgrounds with corporates involved in a lot of deals that you get to know the corporates pretty well. And we get out and we see a lot of corporates. For instance, coming up now, we have, it's not as easy as it used to be getting in front of clients, sitting one-on-one -on -one across the table or in group meetings with them. But R&B Morgan Stanley actually runs a, um, an annual conference, four days, seeing corporates. And we have eight of our analysts will be attending those. And one-on-one -on -one meetings on the corporates, we will be seeing there's 60 different corporates that we will be meeting. And some of them are one-on-one, -on -one, some of them group meetings. Now, it will be done over Zoom or maybe Teams, but that's just happening in September. So we get out, generally kick the tires. If we just look on the next slide, perhaps in terms of the actual, a bit more in the detail, the research process, and this is pretty important how one goes about what one does. So from the macro point of view, we look at um, economics globally, locally, then we look at markets locally and globally, and then we basically get expected asset returns from the various asset classes out there, bonds, equities, cash. But when we get onto the individual stocks, so from the, our J generation, we look at any company on three basic ways, business assessment, financial analysis, and valuation. Now, it's, I don't think there's anything special about it. A lot of houses we compete with have got good teams, they've got good processes, but to, to us, it's how well you do this. Your business assessment, 
the financial analysis and the valuation, the rigor that gets put into that. So I think having a lot of financial people in the organization, sort of accountants, CFAs, financial analysis is a side that we try and sort of differentiate a bit on that and really focus onto that, looking at whether operating margin trends, return on capital over time, ROEs, the drivers of the business, financial structure and cash flows, for instance. So that bucket's very important. And then once we've done that, we obviously have the portfolio construction, we get expected return and risk. We're very aware of, of sort of factor that we don't want too many single factors in the portfolio. So we manage that. And obviously liquidity also comes into the fray and conviction. So that's a, just a very quick snapshot of what we do. Perhaps before we get into our outlook and what we think is happening, to just remind you all what's happened in the first six, uh, six months of the year. I mean, if you went away for six months you'd, and sort of took a holiday, disappeared into space, maybe with our Elon Musk, he took you on a six-month trip, came back, you'd say, well, not too much has happened. Markets look very similar levels to where they were six, month, uh, six months ago. But in between, obviously, we've had a pretty big crisis. So just a couple of charts there. If we look, if we look at the MSCI, this is in RANDs, so for South African investors, what would have happened. The MSCI World Index, which was actually down about 5% in dollars for the first six months, you still would have made 15% return. So it's quite busy, different colors. So that's the benchmark, whereas our Orbi made zero in RANDs and our Capswix was down 13. So the game, the game in town has basically been you needed to be in the dollar, you would have made 22% in the 23% in the US dollar. You needed to be in gold, the so dollar gold, up 45% in rands for the first six months. And then you need to be in the NASDAQ is tech and the crane index, which we do have in some of our multi-strat funds, which is the China IT index. So those, the green is the crane index are right at the top and then gold's the second one. So that's a snapshot what's happened. Then if we look in a little bit more detail, so this, this chart is the MSCI World Equity Index, which, which was down 5% in dollars. These are all in dollars. And the, the bar charts show the return and the, uh, the dots show the weighting of the sector in the index. So if you go to the left-hand side of the, of the chart there, of the slide, the IT sector is now 19% of the MSCI World Index. So it's become, it's got a bigger and bigger sector as it's performed so well, as growth stocks have performed well over time. And that's basically up in dollars 13% for the year. Big driver, maybe move sort of too along to the healthcare sector, which is also a decent size sector, 12%. That was up for the first six months, some 4%. So then if you move across to the right-hand side to all the laggards, you can see energy obviously down 34%. I mean, with the oil price collapse, financials down 22%. And now that's a very big sector globally. It's 14% weighting, down 22%. And then industrials, old style businesses, 10% index weighting, down 12. So it's very much the value count, value counters, old school, where the underperformance come and the growth trend has continued for the last eight years or so. If we look in South Africa at the SA equity sectors as well, just to put in context, the three shaded areas, resources basically, and now we're back in rands, so obviously not so good in dollars, but in rands, 
Resources are up 9% for the first half. Industrials fall really because of NASPERS, I guess, and process. And then financials have been the laggards, which is the banks, insurers, down 30%. So that, that has been the snapshot of what has happened. And we will look what we think is going to happen going forward. So you can see gold, the gold mining, the gold index has done 83% to June, and it's continued to perform in the last month and a bit as well, into July. And NASPERS process, we can be very fortunate that we have that in our index, ranging from 25% to 15% in the various indices. And that has really held up or the SA markets for, I guess, the last five years in particular, just making us be not as bad. Okay, so now looking forward. The first thing to say, global growth. If we look to the right-hand side, this is, this is really consensus numbers out there on Bloomberg's. Globally, minus 4% for this year, bouncing back 5% next year. So very clearly, there is a V-shaped economic recovery, notwithstanding th threats of potentially a second outbreak, etc. With the f fiscal and, uh, and monetary stimulus that has taken place, we are going to bounce back quite sharply globally. That's the first thing. The US, if you look on the left-hand side, minus 5, bouncing back to 4 is consensus. China, back to the right-hand side there. China is going to grow this year somewhere close to 2% and next year up at 8%. So markets are looking decent. South Africa, which we know doesn't look so pretty, consensus is 7. We think that's probably optimistic. We think you could be closer to minus 10 this year and quite a muted bounce back next year. So we consensus is a 3% bounce back next year. If we're down 10, we could bounce back 3 to 4% next year, we think. So that's, that's the V-shaped recovery. On the next slide, we then just, the old adage, which is applied year, all the years, well, let's say in the last 30 years, could say, don't fight the Fed, for sure. When cheap money, markets tend to go up. And you can see the stimulus as the central bank purchases, some six trillion broken down just in the last year, how aggressive that has been, plus the monetary stimulus. And so that negative real rates is a very good thing for, well, in the short term for markets anyway. Next slide then. One of the big topics, and we've been on it quite a bit about this, is the US dollar against trade weighted index, the DXY. And if you go back after the last nine years, the trade weighted dollar has been very strong. It's appreciated by 20%. It was up at 24% a short while ago, in fact, about a month ago. And even if you look in the last sort of six years, it still has strengthened probably close to 20%. And we have seen a weakening in the dollar. So what has happened, we've moved from 107 against the euro to, to 117 now. So we've already had a move of about 9% or so, 8 to 9%. And we think there's a good chance that as you move forward in the next 12 to 18 months, we could see the dollar continuing to, to weaken. Rates are now negative, negative real rates in the US. So the, the competitive advantage of better rates in the States is no longer there. And generally, when, they, when the economies rebound and recover, the dollar tends to underperform, which we think will, could be happening over the next 12 months. So there's a case to be made. We'll see the dollar weakening, this, continuing to, this trend to continue over the next sort of 12 months or so, which is good news for resources, and it's good news for EM. So perhaps just on the next slide to have a look at what we have here is a correlation. 
So what we've done is taken the, what happens is commodity prices rise when the US dollar weakens. So on this chart, we have inverted. So it's the inverse of the dollar. So, so when the dollar is basically, dollar is weakening, the, it will, the line will be rising. So it's in line with the commodities. And I can't show, on the, can't show you on the chart there. Maybe, Dwayne, I don't know if you can, can show it with a mouse there. In 2009, you can see what happened, that very sharp rise in the commodities and the dollar weakening. Now, that is the phase we think we're going to in the next 12 months. That we, Maybe it's not going to be as extreme, but we think this dollar could continue to weak and commodities is a decent underpin as cyclically we recover. So that should be good for our resource sector and for um, EM. The other big theme that's been out there over time is this whole debate of growth versus value. And growth for the last 10 years has been the place to be. It's all the tech counters. You look at the, the return on capital employed of the tech counters, the growth prospects. And if you take over the next 10 years, they still do look pretty attractive without a doubt compared to a lot of the old school type businesses. So long term, we think that's very much that growth still looks pretty good. But we think we could be in a situation in the next sort of six to 12 months that maybe there's a period of relative underperformance. So what we've got here is the Russell Value Index. This is in the States and it's, it's a thousand shares. And we've plotted a thing we do ourselves is we've plotted the Russell Value against growth. So the bottom chart, and this is probably not so easy to explain, the bottom chart there, the two lines, one is the price relative of the two, and the other is just the price of the value index. But the price relative, if you can see on there, basically growth, well, value has underperformed growth by some 43% over the last five years. Now, how you, you decompose that if you go to the top line, which is an earnings relative line. So it's values earnings divided by the earnings of the growth index. And there you can see you base it to 100 and that has gone down. So value has underperformed by 25%. And then the middle chart is a PE relative. So it's one PE over the other of the, value, the two indices. And you've gone from value trading on the left-hand side at about a 0.9 historically and it's derated all the way down to its lowest ever rating. So this elastic band is continuing to stretch. You're at a 0.6. Now, maybe that's justified. We just think it's got probably got too low, particularly with the rebound we're likely to see in economic growth. So we think more cyclical counters and resources come into this category will probably do relatively better. Doesn't mean that the growth stocks might not go up, but relatively, we think it could be better. So the relative line could turn up over the next sort of six to 18 months. And what we've done, in fact, in our multi-strat funds, we've switched 5% of our, our holding in the fund of the S&P, where we've been in a lot, and we've put that into the value fund, into, into the Russell value, where we think relative it'll outperform the S&P over the next 12 to 18 months. Now, time will tell whether we're right or wrong, and in 12 months' time, we'll re report back on whether it's a good call or not. So we think cyclically it does look like we could do well there. Now, just the last slide before I hand over to Dwayne to have a look on the outlook on the domestic side and some performance, just to remind people, because everyone is so negative, SA Inc. The pool we are playing in in South Africa, our index, the All Share Index, 70, almost 75% of the index in the Aussie is actually non-RAND 
not driven by the rand and the domestic economy. And if we look at the cap SWIX, which is a more better benchmark, I think that the institutions use pension funds, there that number is about 30% SA. So that's the first point. The second point is to say just how concentrated our index is. If you look at the all share index, NUSPERS, obviously, NUSPERS and PROS is 22%. Then BHP and Anglos are 20% of that index. Now, that's a good thing if you think that resources do okay in the next 12, 18 months. And then we have Richmond, which has been struggling, big slug, and then obviously gold's popped in. So 50% of the whole all share index in South Africa is actually five stocks. It's quite scary. And then we looked at the CAPSWIX, and that's obviously the top five of 30%. And you've, the banks do come into this. So you've got First Rand, Standard Bank, and, and then after that, you get the tobacco companies coming in behind that. So that's just a reminder. So we have the opportunity to play in some international stocks, domestic stocks, and build a portfolio for you, which we think will over time do fairly well. So with that, I'll hand over to Dwayne to run through the rest of the presentation. Thanks, Maria. Appreciate it. On this slide, we're looking at uh, the latest Google Mobility report in South Africa. And I'm going to take you quickly, uh, just a quick summary of what we think of South Africa and where we think the opportunities in South Africa lie at the moment. If we look at the Google uh, Mobility report, you can see that residential traffic was, has stayed high and we would expect that through the lockdown. And then everything took a big hit as the lockdown was put in place and slowly everything is recovered, which is positive for economic activity. I mean, as expected, what recovered the most was grocery and pharma, which done very well. And slowly we can see people going back to their workplace with transit stations, which doesn't, you know, a lot of South African transit isn't formal, so it doesn't cover all the transit, coming back a little slower than everything else. But the positive thing here is to see the trend of South African activity recovering slowly. If I then, then just go and look at, Lorium puts together a proprietary domestic index, and we look at that index, which is basically South African companies that make their earnings in South Africa, excluding all resource companies that earn in dollars. And we compare the performance of that index versus the CapSwix and the Aussie, or the uh, CapSwix Top 40 and the Aussie, we'll see that it's underperformed quite dramatically. So the question now is, while the SA domestic index hasn't performed in line with markets when they recovered post the COVID downturn, is there value in that index and opportunity? If we then go and dissect that index and look more carefully at what's driven its underperformance, firstly, we can see that small cap stocks in South Africa have taken quite a beating and have underperformed quite dramatically. I mean, then if we go and look at the mid-cap index, it's actually outperformed the total domestic index, which is strange on the face of it. But if we dissect what is in the large cap index domestically, a lot of that is banks. And so we, we can deduct that banks have actually underperformed the, the general domestic index. We will later speak to it, but this is where we think there is quite a large opportunity in South Africa. If we then look at the overall market valuation, this is once again on our proprietary domestic index, we can see that the PE or the forward PE for the index took quite a hit as we came into COVID and that's as stocks pulled back dramatically. But then the PE has recovered quite a lot 
to about let's call it 11 and a half when in the past it's traded at average at about 12 and a half but most of that recovery is not driven by share price recovery it's more driven by downgrades and earnings as companies earnings have been impacted by COVID. so what we say then is what is a normalized earnings basis for south africa and we think a normalized earnings basis in south africa is more if we look out to june 22 and if we look out to June 22 post the COVID impact, then South Africa is trading in more like a 10.3 forward PE compared to its historic average of 12 and a half, which definitely on the face of it makes look South, Af South Africa look cheap. Obviously, we're very aware that South Africa is in a tough spot, and so you have to pick or be very discerning around your opportunities. And so we will continue to look for companies with strong balance sheets that can trade through this period and strong management teams. If we look at Lorium's the equity fund now, the track record from inception, you can see the funds performed journey quite well and has outperformed over its lifetime since 2014. It's outperformed both the cap swicks quite nicely and the general our peers, the general equity funds out there. If we go and look at different time periods, so an annual looked at annualized performance. We can see that since inception, it's outperformed that since 2014 quite nicely on an annualized basis, and over three years at basically one percent annualized performance, it's outperformed both peers and the cap swicks. Over the shorter periods, year to date and one year, while the fund has outperformed the cap swicks, we can see it's underperformed peers on a relative basis. But over three months, so the last quarter, we can see there's been a big bounce back as the, the markets recovered and the funds shared in that bounce back and it's performed very nicely over the last three months, up 26%, beating both peers and, and the cap swicks. If we then go on to look at risk statistics of the fund, our annualized or standard deviation looks slightly higher than both our peers and the cap swicks. But if we were to look at that using a sharp ratio or Satina ratio, where we look at the amount of excess return we've delivered for the risk we've taken on both those statistics, we look better than both the cap swicks and our peers. And you can see that reflected in the negative months that the fund has had and the months in drawdown, which is relatively better as well. If we just look year to date, what's been the main drivers behind the Lorium Equity Fund? We'll see that we've had an overweight position in NASPAS process. We continue to be bullish on these stocks with NASPAS trading at a 52% discount. And Tencent, which is a large part of the intrinsic value at NASPAS, we think still shows some upside and has significant growth runway. And so we remain constructive on NASPAS Tencent. You can also see gold has performed very well. So as Murray alluded, it's been technology and gold, the big drivers behind the fund and the market. And then we've also had good performance out of the resource stocks as the world has recovered from COVID and especially China has recovered, which is a big driver and importer of things like iron ore accounting for over 60% of the seaborne iron ore imports. On the negative side of the fund, you can see that's mainly been driven by SA Inc. And that would be banks and property in South Africa, as well as Sassel, which we own through the, the oil price war. Uh, right now, we remain very constructive on banks and South African property, where we can discuss further. We've traded into the more solid property companies with solid balance sheet and well diversified. And Sassel, we continue to own as we remain constructive on the oil price and view the fact that they're getting their asset sales away 
will lead to a, a smaller rights issue than expected originally. If we then just look at the last quarter where we saw a large bounce in the uh, in the fund, what's really driven that is NASPAS process has continued to outperform. We've seen good performance from Sassel as the oil price has bounced back. And we've seen continued strong performance in the resource funds or resource stocks, especially with the weakening dollar. You can see that NetBank and APSA have bounced back back a bit, but still underperformed relatively. And so we still think there's still a lot of value in the banks in the SA market, which we can explore in detail a little later. If we just look at where the net group portfolio is positioned at the moment, keep in mind, we took over this portfolio at the beginning of this month, and it's we're still in a transition period. This portfolio will be run in line with Lorium's investment philosophy and with the same investment team and the house view. While we are transitioning this portfolio, you can expect to see some changes in the portfolio, but we are happy where we are at the moment and have transitioned a large part of the portfolio already. We did engage with the previous fund manager extensively to get a view on many of the stocks, some of them which are small cap stocks. And at the current period, we think this fund offers a lot of value at the moment and should show good performance going forward. On that note, I'm going to hand over to Doug for Q&A. Thanks, Dwayne. Yeah, that was a great presentation, guys. I think we certainly are in a period where I guess we've suffered, you know, we are facing quite dour economic growth. And I guess it's time will tell whether this wall of cash will translate into to the growth that markets are expecting. We've got we've got quite a few questions that have come in, which I can take through. I guess the first one that's quite interesting is when we are looking at the global markets and global markets is something that you guys do bring into your into your process. When a South African investor is looking at, say, emerging markets for SA equities, do you guys see an investor gaining more value in emerging markets or do you think that they can get enough emerging markets exposure in South Africa? Okay, Doug, I'll I'll kick off with that one. Uh, I guess emerging markets. If we if we go back over the last ten years, I mean the place to be has been the S and P. Emerging markets have the last five years not done very well, and even though it's done probably not too dissimilar to Europe, Europe has really not done well. So it's really the U.S. market's done extremely well. But in our markets, if we look. NASPERS is a very big component of that EM index, so you're getting quite a lot of exposure to China. So we're getting 20%, 25% exposure just buying our index to China, and China is now 40% of the EM index. So it's steadily grown, and it will become bigger as going forward. And more than half of the index actually is Asia now, because it's been far better growth, whereas Brazil has not been good at all, and LATAM has been very poor, Mexico in particular as well. So when you get SA, we're very correlated to the emerging markets. And if you go back, it depends which period you measure. South Africa is shrinking the EM index now. I think it's about 3% or so, 4%. We used to be 7 So it has underperformed. 
But I think if you take money offshore, our, our view would rather than going the emerging market index, China by itself looks very attractive or Asia, but the EM index as a whole, I, I think you'd rather look elsewhere other than China. So SA does give you exposure to China, a decent amount. And then because we're a commodity player as well, when EM does well, we tend to do well as well. So you'd be doubling up to put more EM, I think, if you do have exposure to South Africa as far as we're concerned. Great. And I guess continuing on the NASPERS theme, it is a big component of the Net Group Investments Growth Fund. If we combine that NASPERS with process, we're looking at around about a 15% position. What, what is your view on the discount um, that NASPERS is trading at? And are, are you seeing that value unwind starting to take place? Thanks, Doug. Uh, I'll take that. I mean, currently the discount the NASPERS is trading to its underlying intrinsic value is over 50%, which is close to an all-time wide level. So we would think that's way too wide. We see, I mean, then process, if you take process alone, it's trading at about a 32% discount. So we think there are two shorter term catalysts that will help close that discount. One, there's a high chance the process gets included in the stocks 50 now in August, which will help more European funding managers look at process and there will be passive flow, which could help close the discount. Secondly, we think in the short to medium term, the management will unbundle more of their process stake like they originally did. They first unbundled from 100 to about 74, then sold down slightly. NASPAS currently owns 72% of process, and we think they'll unbundle that down to just over 50% in the short to medium term. That'll obviously help narrow the discount on that piece of the stake that NASPAS shareholders get in process from the NASPAS discount of over 50 to the process discount of 30. On top of all that, we do believe in the long term that NASPAS management are doing the right things to create value in the rump assets of NASPASS. That's the assets excluding Tencent. For instance, classifieds, we've seen it get more profitable. And at some stage, we believe the classifieds business will be able to be listed, floated on a, a stock exchange, and that would crystallize the value in that business, which would help narrow the discount as well. So overall, we think the discount is very wide. We still think there's a lot of value in Tencent alone. And then on top of that, you're getting the 52% discount. So we think NASP the NASPAS process um, stocks still look very attractive at these levels. Thanks, Dwayne. I guess it's some of the questions now are coming through are more domestic equity focused. And there seems to be a lot of anxiety around where people think the economy is going. And I guess this translates into where people think or how people think you guys are identifying value in South African equity markets. I guess the first question is, do you see, where, where are you seeing the most value? And are there areas in the market where you are particularly concerned? Okay, so I'll, I'll take that, Doug. Look, I guess there's sentiment, confidence is extremely low. And I think that's reflected in a lot of the share prices out there. And the question is, which ones are right and which ones are not right? And we, we obviously need to try and find out where, where we think the areas to go into that we'll do okay. 
But the, I think as Dwayne mentioned earlier, and I might have mentioned as well, I mean, on the banks, that's one area that we really think look very attractive. Now, the first thing one will say is that banks are just a microcosm of the economy. But the prices have got so hammered that if you look at your, in fact, to take your group, Nedbank, we're a big holder, um, even before we joined up with you. But uh, trading at a 0.65 times price to book. So basically what it's saying is the group is going to lose its capital. There's going to be big write-offs and there's going to be, capital is going to be eroded. Now, we don't think that's going to happen with any of the banks. We think they've got the buffers are more than enough in place. And the, but the banks aren't going to actually make losses in any one year. So if you believe that happens, then we think there's very decent upside. And while we recognize that banks getting back to the earnings they made in 2019 could take three to four years, they are more they are between 30 to 50 percent down on where they were. So we think that sector is very attractive. Nedbank and APSA in particular look very attractive. The area that we're quite concerned about, I guess, is in the retail side. We, we've chosen Woolies in there. We've had some pick and pay. We thought that would be a bit more defensive, not a big position, but it hasn't performed very well. And all the retailers have been under a lot of pressure. I guess the food retailers, which are quite defensive. A lot of people went in, particularly because of liquor. Liquor is sort of 10 to 15% of their sales, and that is putting extra pressure on them. And they under a lot of they are, their price relative performance has been very poor. So that's a sector that we're quite worried about longer term. We are actually just, we have been looking at with Fashini Group is a new one that we're looking at. We actually bought a little bit and that has been because the deal that they're doing buying out Edcon, the part of the jet the jet business, it's done at a very attractive valuation. And we think that'll get them, that'll change the portfolio quite a bit and it probably does well. But net net retailers, we're very underweight. Uh, banks, we are we have a, a decent slug in banks. Some of the diversified industrials we think of really longer term are going to have, uh, going to really struggle out there. We could have a cyclical bounce back, but I think if you look forward, the sustainable economic growth over the next five years for SA after we bounce back next year is probably quite modest. I mean, the last five years we've grown at 0.8% at GDP, and I think that's that's our base case is we're going to be growing at not 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 faster than that once we get through the bounce back of next year. So in light of that framework, we do think the banks look very attractive. There are a couple of industrial counters that look very good. Smaller ones, transaction capital, which is obviously in the big moats around the business, uh, in the taxi industry, is something that looks pretty attractive. So the I guess a couple more. I don't know, Dwayne, if you want to add any more that sort of stand out that maybe I've missed there. Yeah, sure, Murray. The, the other space we've looked at quite carefully is uh, relatively defensive businesses. That would be the telcos and something like multi-choice. I mean, multi-choice is obviously benefited that people are staying at home more often. So we've had a position in that. And I mean, while we have seen a bit of down trading from their premium package due to no sport, with sport coming back, we'd expect that up trading and their subscriber base has been very resilient. And then telcos, which has obviously performed very well. We saw Vodacom come out and their South African revenue is actually up 4%. So very defensive, especially with people staying at home using more data. And because of that, while we think Vodacom is slightly full, we have had a position in MTN, which performed very nicely post the COVID downturn. And that's also came out with the results today and also been relatively resilient in a, in a tough period. Thanks, guys. Look, I'm sure we could 
talk through quite a few more of the questions here, but unfortunately we have reached our time limit. As I've said before, we really are delighted to partner with Lorium Capital. We think that they do offer quite a quite an interesting investment process in the current market. And as we say that Maria and his team have been doing have been investing in South African equity markets for for a number of years. And I think one of the critical and interesting elements about them is the amount of of networks that they have developed in the market. And I think that really positions them well to to comprehensively understand the, the the mechanics of how South African businesses operate and how they're being driven. Thank you again to everyone for for taking the time to join us. And uh, Dwayne, Mary, thank you, thank thank you to you for joining us. I trust that everyone on this call has found this conversation useful. And for those who do, of you who do have questions on the Ned Group Investment Growth Fund, please do get in touch with with a representative who will happily uh, assist you. Before I close off, I would just like to flag that we are having a discussion with Rassi Erasmus next Tuesday. If you haven't registered for that event, please, I would direct you to go onto our LinkedIn page. We do have a link there which you can click on to register for the event. And we do obviously look forward to hearing some of his insights around leadership in the current environment. But um, in terms of today, that's all we have left. Thank you again for joining us and take care. Goodbye. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.